As the lockdown reaches the six-month point, people everywhere are clinging to the hope that there'll soon be a coronavirus vaccine so that life can return to normal. That aspiration, though, suffered something of a setback last week when the pharmaceutical company AstraZeneca announced the suspension of its Phase 3 trial of the COVID-19 vaccine that it's developing with the University of Oxford. This was in response to a volunteer in their trial developing an inflammatory condition of the nervous system called transverse myelitis. Now, the trial has since been resumed, but has this helped or damaged the public perception of vaccine safety? I had some questions about how decisions to start and stop clinical trials are made and what the present trajectory means for when we're going to get that elusive coronavirus vaccine. So I asked vaccinologist Gordon Dugan, who has overseen the development of many vaccines during his career, to explain. When you volunteer for a vaccine, an ethical framework is set up around you, whereby you're monitored at all stages. You don't just go in there and take the vaccine and disappear. You're carefully monitored by highly skilled clinical teams. And you're also monitored by a clinical trials monitoring team who are independent. So the idea is that at any stage, you feel that you're having some kind of response, that you're able to report back, and that team come in and investigate. And what's happened is that one or two people have reported back Uh, as they normally would, some issues, and decided that they want to investigate these issues, and that's what happened last week. So what are the thresholds for deciding to completely halt a trial? An achy arm after having a jab is not quite in the same ballgame as someone with the case that we saw last week, the person having transverse myelitis, allegedly, where parts of the nervous system were swollen. So what the monitoring group would be looking for is any kind of adverse response And so you would look statistically to see, first of all, how severe is the event and what's the frequency of that, as you would expect in a normal population. These side effects can occur in the population at different rates and you're obviously measuring to see that anything elevated above the normal rate of response. You've brought a number of vaccines through this process. You've got people being protected against dread diseases in a number of different countries around the world. Has this sort of thing happened to you? Actually, you've got to remember uh, that most vaccines don't make it. If you look at the vaccines that are there, for every one that's there, there's many that have have not made it through the process. So it is quite common to see early signatures, and I've seen them, yes. For example, one instance where we were using a live vaccine and we saw the vaccine organism in the bloodstream of patients. And it wasn't there visibly as a clinical symptom, it was just an observational and microbiological signal, and we decided to stop the trial. So I've seen that happen uh, in a number of different settings, yes. There's a report in the Daily Telegraph this week, and, and it led to quite a ferocious reaction from people on Twitter. And this is because the piece was talking about the anti-vax brigade, But a lot of people said, well, I'm not anti-vax, but I am anti this vaccination because I'm worried about the rate at which it's being generated. What would you say to them? I can understand that feeling. We've heard issues, for example, with the vaccine that's coming out of Russia, where it looks like some steps have been, if you like, fast-tracked. So I do have sympathy with that. And I'm thinking along the same lines, it is more risky at the moment. And that's why 
that we as people who are looking to develop vaccines should be erring on the side of caution at all stages. But if people are so distrustful that they won't use the vaccine, it's not going to help. And we're going to continue to have large levels of circulation in the population. So it almost negates the point of having a vaccine. I think you're right that some people, no matter what you did or said or presented them with, wouldn't be anti-vaccines. Some people believe that the world's flat. But a lot of people are on the fence and people really want to receive a safe medicine. And that's where everybody should be. And what we need to do is keep the debate open. I think it was great last week, we had a, last week that we had an open debate about an incident during the phase three, much better than it being covered up. As long as we can be as transparent as possible, then I think that will reassure people. And the proof of the pudding will be coming soon because we're going to start to see people present data on whether the vaccine works or not. And that's the crucial stage. We need to look very carefully at the evidence presented to, to us as a community. That will influence whether or not people take the vaccine. And can I just ask you about what you anticipate the timeline will be? Originally, we had hoped to have something by the autumn. Now, politicians are increasingly talking about 2021. What's the timeline to your mind? If all goes well and we see evidence of protection by the end of the year, that will give the people who are manufacturing the vaccine confidence to build facilities, but also the licensing. I anticipate that that will happen early next year. So I'll give you a direct answer, which is the middle of next year. Still a long time, isn't it? Considering it normally takes a lot longer to make a vaccine, it's a remarkably quick time, but it is still a long time in the context of everything that's going on with COVID-19 and the battles health-wise and the battles economically. So potentially another nine months before a vaccine could be available. Gordon Dugan there from the University of Cambridge.